Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. <laughs> Science. Exercise. Nutrition. Health. Energy. Passion. One year, no beer. This is the One Year No Beer podcast, where you will find all the latest tips, tricks, and hacks for a way to live better. Welcome to the One Year No Beer podcast. I am Andy Ramage. Um, today's guest is Nick Littlehouse, um, author of a book that changed my world a little bit during the week. If you'd seen me on the Instagram or the social media, I was talking about this book, this this book about sleep, and I thought I knew everything there was to know about sleep because I'm intrigued by it. Because for me, it's one of the most overlooked personal performance aspects that people fail to optimize. It's so important. It's absolutely key. The science is there. We know it ourselves when we haven't slept well. We don't perform to the to the same level we'd like to. This alcohol-free challenge very often transforms people's sleep and in doing so, their lives. So I want to know more about it. And it was in researching Nick's book that my views were completely changed. He talks about forgetting um, about the eight-hour myth, about counting your hours. It's all about a weekly total. He advises a standard wake-up time. I'm not going to go too, into too much detail about it now because actually it all comes out in the podcast, but what I will say is this guy is passionate. I thought I was passionate about alcohol. This guy is just as passionate about sleep. I think it's a fascinating interview. It's one of the longest ones we've done because there was just so much interesting stuff to get stuck into. Nick is a sleep coach. He's worked with the best in the land from the top athletes, to the top CEOs, Manchester United, Real Madrid, you name it, Sky team, the cycling uh, gurus, the Olympic cycling team. This guy's worked with everyone to optimize their sleep. So listen to this podcast and see how he can optimize yours. Enjoy. Welcome, Nick. Lovely to finally catch up with you. It's great to be here, Andy. Yeah, I mean, I'm super pleased. And I, I reached out to you just recently because I read your book, Sleep. Yeah. Um, and it sort of transformed my world a little bit. And this doesn't happen as often as it used to because, you know, I'm at the sort of vanguard of all this health and wellness in many ways. So I'm digging around into all these areas, especially sleep, uh, nutrition and mental health and whatnot. And sleep, especially for the last few years, I've done a lot of research in. We've had a guy called Sean Stevenson. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a US guy. Um, on the podcast, he's got a book called Sleep Smarter. Obviously, oh, Ariana, yeah. yeah, you know they got yes, yeah, so Ariana Huffington's obviously involved in this. I've read her, you know, to look at my bookshelf there. I think I've got about six books just on sleep because it was a really big thing for me when I first stopped drinking alcohol. My yeah. sleep just improved so much. You know, it was like it was like night and day to sort of yeah. keep with the sleep analogy, and, and that really interested me and excited me because I felt a lot better. That was part of my improvement, part of my performance gains around sleep and then when we see the like the members coming in their thousands upon thousands one of the biggest subjects that, that that comes up is sleep one that is improving and two the other interesting thing around sleep is that a lot of people turn to alcohol to sleep um which I, i'm sure you see all the time and actually 
before we even get into this, a co- actually a friend of mine, I'm going to say, when I first stopped drinking, he approached me with genuine concern and he sort of put his arm around me and said, look, I know you're on this alcohol-free adventure, but how the hell did you get to sleep? he just couldn't understand it and probably the reason why he drinks every night because he's trying to get himself to sleep so I thought I'd get you on the the podcast and we just have a little chat about this but before we um, dive a bit deeper I just thought it'd be really interesting to get a bit of your background how you ended up to be a sleep consultant as it were oh wow I've been uh, answering that question quite a lot of the last two years since the book came out and even um, back to almost late 20 2015 when I started to construct the content of the book and uh, the last thing you want to do is is actually sit down and write about you know your career or your pathway or your journey when for a lot of it um, you just don't record it you know things just happen and um, in a lot of cases without sort of technology around me you know with phones on the you know, cameras on the phones and things like that. You know, the way we record things today is so much more uh, intimate and, and, and real. So back then, it's almost you look back and think, I wonder what on earth was, did that actually happen in yeah. some cases? But the principle, you know, it was just like every young lad, maybe, I just wanted to be uh, a professional sports person. Um, it was always sport before exams and studying. I was fortunate enough to be able to sort of still do studying and exams as well as sport. But um, but I, I, I got to a particular point in a lot of sports, trials here for cricket and football, but I never, you know, back in the late 90s, sport was a different place and the world was a different place. And, you know, so I, I ended up dropping out of uh, trying to become a sports person. I spent five years as a professional golfer at a club, um, working in a very unique club. Um, But, you know, lost interest because I wasn't going to travel around the world. So I I married my childhood sweetheart, fell into the furniture industry. It happened to be with a company called Slumberland Beds. I got a nice car. I travelled around a patch selling beds to retailers, so I was still independent. I didn't have a boss on my shoulder. So, you know, sport was all about independence and your own drive, your own motivation. And and I suppose that was just one of the jobs, that I wasn't stuck in a fixed environment. I was outside travelling around and stuff. Um, I suppose sport is all about challenges and how can you improve and train and practice. And I just looked at my job and I thought, this is a waste of time. I could do this in a different way. So I sort of went against my bosses, my area managers. And um, you may have come across the term, but in those days, it was sort of you had to do eight calls a day in your car, traveling around as a salesman. If you didn't do eight calls, you failed. Well, I was more interested in how much I made from each each call. So about six years, I became their international sales and marketing director. Um, There was no qualifications, no sort of academic um, qualities to become this. I just had common sense, maybe, looked at things differently. So I was in charge of the company. Now, it was a leading brand with licensees all over the world. So I basically wandered around looking at the way all sorts of people sleep. Um, as a leading brand, we're always supposed to be innovating, uh, challenging, and I worked in and around a lot of clinical areas of sleep. Um, we had no sleep council. We had no body for sleep in the UK. So 
myself and a couple of other collaborators in the industry got together and created a UK Sleep Council, and I was the chairman of that. Um, I suppose Slumberland got bought out by a big European group. Um, we became a much bigger group of companies. So I traveled around all Europe with all the various different partner companies who made products and into the world of sleep in Germany, to Switzerland, Scandinavia, whatever. And um, the group got tried to be sold a couple of times. And uh, you'll know this from your particular background. As, as a board director in a little sort of sub-team who was creating strategy for the group, I was aware that this actual sale meant there was a lot of people going to lose their jobs. Um, so we, we come up with those those terms like if 300 people leave this factory, the other 500 can keep their jobs, knowing everybody's going within a year, you know? And I, I, I did that once. I got faced with it again, and I thought, can't do this anymore. Um, I was also very disillusioned about my industry because, like you were chatting around before we came on the podcast, it was like, we all knew how important sleep was, but there's no education, there's no performance factor. Nobody did anything about it. It just got talked about. And um, so I, I just decided to leave. You know, maybe I was going to go off and be a surf instructor in Australia. I don't know. Midlife crisis in my 40s. My office was in Oldham, Manchester. And I was just twiddling my thumbs, employing people to replace me and all that sort of stuff. And um, I'd done one daft thing. It seemed after the time, but it was quite relevant. Uh, the local football club at Oldham Athletic had asked me, as a big uh, company in the area, whether we'd like to sponsor their shirts. And in those days, you know, late 90s, putting names onto shirts was quite new. Yeah. And to have a, have a company called Slumberland, which everybody knew was a bed company, so that the media sort of went, They'd had all the players sleeping in the centre of the football pitch or in the goals because obviously they're influenced by this this brand. Uh, but actually, you know, over 50% of the workforce were all supporters of Oldham Athletic. So it was a nice thing for the workforce, for, for the company that they worked for was on the shirts of their favourite team. Anyway, a breeding ground for Manchester United players, you know, like Berry Football Club, around that area, they were producing Manchester United players. So because I, I was basically signing the check, I got invited to a few events and I bumped into Manchester United. And um, I just thought, right, I'll write to Manchester United and see if they do anything on recovery, sleep, whatever. Um, I mean, I was a bed manufacturer principally, so it wasn't really, I wasn't trying to do anything about sleep in that sense. It was just... I just wondered if they did anything about recovery I could learn from or, yeah. you know, maybe David Beckham will buy a Slumberland bed and we can market that, you know, I don't know. But Alex Ferguson then wrote back and said he'd asked all his staff and they said no. The physio showed some interest, uh, a guy called Dave Fever. Um, I went to see Dave Fever and it was basically about uh, a centre-half player called Gary Pallister, which you probably fully aware of. And yep. He was completely wrapped in cotton wool because of lower back. Um, and they were about to spend some circus 60 grand on the coach, the club coach, to, to try and put in some adjustable bed type thing to protect him while they're traveling and everything else. Um, so what he did, he sort of like, well, you know a lot about product. Maybe while the player is away from me, the physio, 
Um, and he came up with this word called dehabilitating Andy. You know, so I rehabilitate him, and then he dehabilitates when he jumps in his Ferrari and drives home. You know. Yeah. Um, so I just went to his home, checked a few things out. You know, classically sleeping on something rock hard, orthopedic, chiropractic, marketing rubbish, and um, so I just made a few changes, and that started to show the physio some improvements. Right, they couldn't solve it, but improvements. And that sort of triggered off more dialogue. So basically, because I was not inside my own industry, I was in sport, I was able to say what I liked to Dave Fever because he had, he had no benchmark against it, you know. So we basically just downloaded stuff. He then starts talking to the other players. It was a, a really, you know, un, unreal time where you had most of the players were all UK-born, um, the class of 92, the Beckham's yeah. gigs, skulls, butts. Uh, you know, we're not all sitting there texting and social media and each other. Um, and so they're a very responsive group, uh, even to the point when uh, Alex Ferguson decided to double up pre-season training. Uh, so training in the morning, training in the afternoon, which was revolutionary then. It was unheard of. Yeah. Um, so me and the, the new physio, a guy called Rob Swire, um, decided to say, well, what, what do you think, Nick, they should do in between training sessions? Uh, they can lounge around on the sofas, play ping pong, watch the telly, whatever. And said, so, well, why don't we create a room where they can go and sleep, you know, like a nap room? And um, so they said, okay. Now, we talk about sleep pods and nap rooms and recovery rooms today, but we're talking about a bunch of young lads um, who just won the treble. The, the media focus on Manchester United was massive. Yeah. And, you know, the, the sort of paparazzi, as you would call it then, uh, Manchester United's training ground is sort of like down, down a long track, uh, hidden away in the woods sort of thing. Uh, and to start that process, you have to go through the first barriers. And that's where the, the paparazzi used to hide and stand and take pictures. So I think just somebody had gone, who is this guy? Because we, we don't see this guy coming in and out. So who is he? You know, because uh, they're all his interested. You know, it could be an agent, could be a new manager. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the guys at the internal desk, because sleep has absolutely no relevance to anybody. <laughs> We're quite happy to say to the guys on the, the front down at the, ah, oh, she's some guy, I think. He's talking to the players about sleep or something. You know, it's nothing, guys. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, so I woke up one morning, and there it was in the papers. You know, that's how it was in those days, in the newspapers, that uh, Manchester United have got a sleep coach. Uh, they just put coach and sleep together, of course. And um, it was very tongue-in-cheek. You know, so I'm tucking them in and reading bedtime stories. Yeah, exactly. Putting them to bed and pampered Manchester United players. Oh my God, they're going to be tucked in now, are they? Yeah. You know, whatever next. Little lullabies. Um, and without all the sports science and, and data capture and all sorts of stuff, those so here, it's really just sort of like get out there and do your thing. Um, and then along the last 20 years, it's just been a series of little moments, hard work in between, Yeah, because nobody's interested in this stuff, nobody's got any budgets for it, so it's always like I've been going bust every week for 20 years, um, 
But every now and again, something happened. And so there's a thing at Manchester United that uh, connected me with the England squad, 98 World Cup. Uh, that connected with me, Gary Lewin, who is the England physio, but also Arsenal physio. Awesome, yeah. It also, Gary was also at Arsenal Football Club when Arsene Wenger arrived. And Arsene Wenger was doing things completely different. So Gary was able to introduce sleep and recovery to Arsene Wenger. And he just went, oh, I'll have some of that. Um, so that was unique. You know, yeah. any other manager wouldn't have even entertained me. But this was this spectacled Frenchman who who liked aromatherapy and stuff like that. So, so um, the first time I actually became a sports sleep coach was when Gary, with the blessing of Arsene Wenger, said, we want you to talk to all the first team players. Right. And so, you know, conference style room at the training ground in Colney St. Albans, all the players there. And this was different to Manchester United because in that room, there was probably somebody from every point of the world. You know, Cesc Fabregas from Spain, you've yeah. got Czech, you've got Nigerian, you've got uh, French. You've got all sorts of different people. So not only was it a language problem, it was also a guy talking to a load of other guys about sleep. So I just had to find some way, I suppose as an ex-marketing guy, I was still very much, a, I'd only been away from my company for less than a year. Yeah. But it was kind of like, I need to find a way to communicate to these guys because otherwise, so that was one moment. Then we did Euro 2004, which was the uh, Euro Championships in Portugal. Another unique situation where the England squad was just staying in one hotel. They weren't traveling around. So they could take the hotel over and they literally did. And so they're able to say, well, get Nick to check the environments and products and stuff like that. And we went over and did all of that stuff and started to look at light and dark and temperature control. And I even designed products to go out to the hotel to replace what was in the hotel so that they were better matched to the physical profiles of the players. And that was with Sven Goran Eriksson and his doctor, Dr. Lee Swartz. So suddenly we started doing about environments yeah. and sleeping kits. Okay. Um, I'd always known in there. So then we got to the birth of British Cycling and Team Sky. And they had a very specific strategy. Everybody knows about it now. The aggregation of marginal gains. They couldn't ignore sleep. I was the only crazy person wandering around doing anything in this area that was tangible that they could use because they couldn't send all the riders to clinics and hospitals and stuff, could they? Um, and so we started... Basically, everything that I had known about, I redefined the way it was communicated so that people could actually do something with it. So gone are the myth of the eight hours and all this sort of stuff, because that was just impractical. And that sort of encapsulated it in that period. And yeah. uh, Team Sky obviously went on to be very successful. And like we did in Euro 2004, they actually had their own sleeping kits in bags going across the tour for three weeks. Yeah, because I remember actually reading, there was the Sky, the, the programme, wasn't there? There was a documentary that followed them around that year. Yeah, and I was fascinated yeah. by it. And I remember the one thing that stood out was this whole concept of the beds, of them going to the to the hotels prior oh, yeah. to, the, to the riders arriving, laying out well, the bed, uh, everything. Yeah, that's just, but it was, it was sort of, again, it was a bit like... Uh, 
back in the days of Manchester. Other riding teams and managers of professional cycling teams were just looking at that and going, there's 24 bags coming out the back of it. <laughs> and going into the hotel every night. Yeah. What's that about? Um, so, you know, Bradley Wiggins got on the Tour de France programme in the end. He then bust the time trial at the Olympics. British Cycling were under real pressure at London 2012, but they still broke Olympic medals. Chris Hoy did it again. And so on the TV, um, you know, they were talking about British Cycling's success again and Team Sky and everything else. And they were quite happily talking more about sleep because all the other things everybody is so familiar with. Yeah. Out of everything that they'd done, sleep was the unusual subject. Yeah, exactly. The sort of, yeah. Yeah. Your bikes are great. Your hats are good. Yeah, this is that. Yeah, yeah. But what about this other thing, this sleep thing? What on earth did you do? <laughs> because people are fascinated. And then, you know, it's sort of a lot more people. It always, always used to be premiership football clubs because they're the only people who've got a bit of spare money. Yeah. But last year, I spent most of my time, you know, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Brighton Hove Albion, uh, Brentford, you know, Cardiff. Uh, strangely enough, Cardiff and Brighton uh, got promoted out of the championship, and uh, I won't take credit for that. But, oh, no, you, you know, you it is their bit. thought process. They, they do look at these areas and are willing to get me in to at least talk to the players and get them engaged. And that is a really brilliant point right there. Exactly that is that marginal gains philosophy because you know if they're looking at sleep, they're looking at every other single tweak they can make, every other single improvement they can make to be better. And it's not surprising then that clubs like that with that mentality are successful very often because yeah. they're, 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 you know, and I think out how I found you was through, um, is it Pete Carroll? for some reason, who's the American football coach, I think the Seattle Seahawks, who's a really out there thinker. Not that he mentioned you directly, but it was a chain of links almost from that because of the way he looks at the world, which is very, it's like the Dave Brailsford type approach to American football, marginal gains, anything they can do, mental health, sleep, um, optimization. And I love this concept, right? Because I believe, genuinely believe, and we were talking about this before, that we are everyday athletes. You know, why, why are we any different to someone trying to, to win a gold? You know, someone trying to be a better dad or better at their job, that's just as important, right? So why not optimise yeah. your own life to be better? Why not optimise your sleep, your diet, nutrition? Take a break from alcohol. Try and be better. Be the best you can possibly be. And sleep is right up there. And it's overlooked by almost everyone. It's just this thing. We just turn up and we think it's what we do. And, and that was great about your book because I, again, as I mentioned at the very top of this podcast, done quite a lot of studying to, to sleep myself and I was obsessed with the eight hours. So my big thing is bed for nine, as close as I can, get up at five. I love getting up at five. So it's always about the eight hours, always about this eight hours. I'm always wrestling with that. If I get to bed later, I push the, the awake time back. Of course, that only works to, to a certain limit because if I get to bed at 12, there's no way I'm ever going to wake up at 8 a.m. I'm still going to wake up at like six. Therefore, I'm a bit behind. I'm asleep. Pick up your book. Two minutes into it, we're talking about circadian rhythms and the 90-minute cycles. And it just started to blow my mind because I was like, hold on, I've been looking at this all wrong all this time. Like obsessed. And I think a lot of people are obsessed with the one night, aren't they? It's like... <gasps> I had a terrible night's sleep. This is a complete disaster for me. You know, whereas I think the pressure, I could feel the pressure dissipate as soon as I thought, actually, as you suggest, look at it over a full week 
Look at these 90-minute cycles. Forget the hours. Look at your 90-minute cycles and work everything back from there. Um, and then just while I want to roll with this because I love it, it was about having that constant awake time, which was another thing. I was like, boom, mind blown. I love that. Constant awake time, work your cycles back. And then I figured out, well, actually, I only need seven and a half hours to get my five cycles in, which bought me another half an hour, which I love. And guess what? Maybe I can get away with four. So all last <laughs> week, I was experimenting with fours and threes and fives. And I must admit, I was all over the place, but it was a brilliant experiment. So just just sort of dive into all that good stuff. You know, we've got the background. Where did the, 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 the... I think for your, for your listeners, that is, uh, that is a really good point. I won't go into it too much, but it's a really good point because what you have done is, um, is you've taken that concept and realised for the first time ever you can actually establish just how much you actually need or want. Yeah. You know? Whereas before, it was just worrying about a number which you hadn't even looked up in a book. Yeah. Right? Where did this ache come from? And I suppose in that opening chapter, you, you suddenly just dawned on you a few things. But the great thing is, is that that's what being in elite sport's all about. You know, in some 24-hour periods, they might only get be able to get two or three cycles in the nocturnal period because, you know, it'll happen on Saturday with the Champions League final, you know. Players won't be getting back to hotels till two or three in the morning, you know. Um, but then using the other natural moments throughout the day as it suits you to boost and balance. And I suppose clearly you must be a morning chronotype, an am -er. Yeah, and, and that was one of my questions because we always hear about this larks and owls and... Yeah. Clearly, you believe in that, that there is, it does feel like that, even just from my observation. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the, um, you know, as you ask me how you become a sleep coach, and it's sort of like along that route, you know, I knew that I was a, I'd heard the owl and lark thing. So I knew that it doesn't matter me putting the alarm on for eight o'clock, nine o'clock. That's pointless because, you know, I will wake up. Yeah. And I wake up, I'm starving. You know, I, I'm not a snooze buttoner. I just have to get up and eat and be active, you know. I might crash a bit later, but, you know, that's me. So I just looked that up and, um, you know, pretty much there's enough evidence. It's a genetic twist. So yeah. if there's a little genetic twist, it means I can camouflage this, you know, with caffeine and jobs and occupations and all sorts of stuff and stimulants. I can camouflage it, but the reality, that's it. So that was one of the things when you said to any group, you know, if you're looking at Team Sky and there's 24 riders there and some coaching staff, and I just say, hands up if you're an AMer, hands up if you're a PMer. And then suddenly you sit there and go, wow, do you know that over 70% of the riders are all PM chronotypes? Really? I'm just making the number up. Right, I can't. Yeah. But what I mean is, wow. Now, when we look at everything that we do, everything is focused on on a sort of AMers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Right? And the main coaches are AMers. So being like you and me, we want all the riders in at R5 because that's when we're at our best. Yeah. So we want them there so we can be our best to them. But actually... No. So even something as small as that, which you, you should be reading bedtime stories to your kids about, you know, 
in a fairy tale way about chronotypes and sun and light and things because if you get that really early, it can be really trans- transformational in your whole life. And you know, when you start looking at things inside everybody's lives, once they get a real handle on that little one, then that can be quite revolutionary, redefining for them yeah. when they start to actually act around that chronotype. You know? Exactly. Whether it's in their younger years, whether it's around study or whether it's around exercise, their jobs, when they, they work out, it's exactly getting to know thyself. And this, I think, jives back to this alcohol-free adventure that many of our members are on because for the yeah. first time in a long time, when you take the booze out of the equation, you actually get, you get the clarity of mind to start to realise how your body reacts you know to, to start to know what it's like to hopefully get a good night's sleep are oh, you a lark or are you an hour you know when are you at your best um and really that then leads so many of our members to get this 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 rush back of productivity because they feel good again you know and and for me really why i want to get you on as well just to discuss that so that they can optimize that even further um, and, and one of the, the really interesting things that I just thought was fascinating about the, 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 the circadian rhythms, the 90-minute um, slots, is that you don't break the rhythm. So uh, you don't break the cycle. And I thought that was fascinating. For example, if you've got a set awake time at 6 a.m. and you get in late and it's 12.15, you're, you're in the start of the cycle. So you would wait for the next cycle to start and go to bed at 1.30 or whatever it is. And things yeah. like that were just I found fascinating because I'd never thought like that before, you know. And what's what's the obsession? It's only because I mean, you know, um, as as uh, as the world has progressed in schedules and and you know we're definitely right into twenty four seven now. You know that is true. Yeah. Um, there's no barriers for anything. Um, is that things would just keep changing and you, and you just couldn't. Having sort of this fixed structure about it was just ridiculous. And what you do know is there was a lot of people talking about pre-sleep and trying to do things in the last half an hour before you're trying to go to sleep to get your eight hours, because that's what you need, isn't it, Andy? So as you start getting to sort of eight o'clock, half eight, you're thinking, what could I do to ensure that I go to sleep and stay asleep for eight hours? Well, at that point in time, it's too late. There are things that can help, but it's too late. It's what you've done from when you woke up in the morning. So you just all you're doing is emphasizing that when you've actually finally become inactive because there's nothing else left to do, then you do need a period of time to to come away from all of that and and allow hormones just allow bowel and bladder to settle, to hydrate, to download thoughts, to get things off your mind, to entertain yourself a little bit before you go to sleep. Just diving in because that you got in five minutes ago, brushing your teeth and getting on with it, then, you know, that's the, the way to broken sleep. And it's if you, you know, I doubt whether you're, I, I can't say doubt about anything in today's world, can I? But Maybe you will have a polysomniograph machine in your room, in your house, and you'll be able to sit there and put all the little data capture connections on your brain, and and it will start to flick away, recording all your... And you'll see this 
this little needle on this spreadsheet flying around like mad, where you're going, sleep, wake, sleep, wake, sleep, wake, sleep, wake, sleep, wake, sleep, these brainwave patterns. And then you'll start seeing bits of slow wave where you've slid down into some deeper sleep with REM and non, and then back up again like this. And you look at it for 90 minutes, and then you look at another 90 minutes. And that's what you're pointing out. You're still asleep, but actually your brain, it's not doing it by a clock. But it, it sort of needs around a 90-minute period to go through all the obvious things it does while you're in sleep. Then it will start repeating them all again. So it's sort of, that's a natural process. So almost by thinking like that, because sleep is all about the sun going around the planet. It's all about patterns, rhythms, and harmony. That's what it's all about, because that never changes. It comes around every day and it goes away. So, so as long as if you've got in your head patterns and rhythms and harmony, a consistent wait time, that's good. Start your day at the same time. Brilliant. Can't end your day at the same time as easily because of the world we live in. And you suddenly you start, I'm doing four cycles. Suddenly your relationship with your brain and how you're thinking and, and everything starts to sort of click in and become more about harmony and less about worry, anxiety, and stress. That, oh, my God! <laughs> Andy, it's quarter to ten. You're only going to get seven hours. You're ruined. Yeah. You're ruined, Andy. You're That's ruined it. today. You know, it's like, oh, give over. Let's go for a bike ride and I'll we'll do three cycles tonight, you know? Yeah, and, and I love that. That... And do you know, funny enough, I had a conversation with my daughter just last night and ended up having a bit of a late night and we've been talking about the book and whatnot and I could genuinely feel it, you know, I'm buzzing even thinking about this, that I, we're taking the stress away from the moment because we'd already had this conversation about sleep and the cycles and the weekly amount and even as, you know, as a child, rather than her going, I'm going to have a terrible night's sleep because she would be a bit stressy about that type of stuff. Previously, she's a ballerina, does lots of, you know, late night training and whatnot Um there was no stress there because it was like, do you know what? I'm going to feel all right tomorrow and I can catch up. You know, I can get my naps or, and just thinking about it as a weekly thing rather than, oh my God, I've got to get my nine, 10 hours as a child. How old is your daughter? She's 12. Right. I think, you know, one of the, the rewarding things about, because um, I, I didn't write it for that particular reason, but the rewarding thing is, is you talking to your 12 year old because, you know, when you think about owls and larks and you're able to identify it with your own children, so you don't put them all at do that. They, they're both trying to do their homework before they go to bed, when actually one of them would quite happily do it much later at night. You're not shouting at them to get off their tech and get off their gaming at one o'clock in the morning because it's their natural chronotypes coming out. So that's when they're going to be more productive yeah. in the morning. And, and we do a lot of penalising. Uh, as parents into children, uh, forcing them to do things in a certain way that can be very damaging to that child's growth. And the one that I was with a, um, a German neuroscientist recently, just as a very quick aside, and he said, uh, uh, neuroscientists are a breed unto themselves, you know. I, I'm always fascinated chatting to them. Um, he said, I've read your book because somebody said I should. Um, I, and I was waiting for the, oh, my God, he's going to rip this to bits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he said, it made me think about so many things that has been fascinating me. 
And I, I said, I know. And he said, uh, when did we start sleeping horizontally? Was a question. Yeah. You know? When did we start sleeping horizontally? Because we sleep in so many different environments around the planet in so many different ways, in igloos, in hot countries, in different time zones, hanging off the side of a mountain on a cliff when we go camping, caravanning, we fall asleep on planes, trains, sat up. And so what is this obsession with sleeping horizontally? And I said, I don't know. He said, it also fascinates me that, as you pointed out, nutrition, what goes in our mouths, and exercise, whether it's 30 minutes walking or whatever it is, done it and we'll continue to do it to death. But the other third human health that sleep has not been touched. Yeah. Not even, not even tried to work out what a five a day is or not even tried to work out whether carbohydrates are bad for you or this is bad, you know, not even had a look. So he said, I find that absolutely fascinating why we've never looked at this yeah. like the way you have looked at it, never mind in any sort of great depth. I said, I know, it's fine. He said, you know what could be unearthed? Things like maybe we shouldn't be sleeping horizontally, you know, for long periods of time. We should balance it with, and it's a bit like sitting at the office desk and now standing. Yeah. So you wouldn't have never done that even five years ago, would you? We're all standing at our adjustable desks. What? Oh, we've only just got the fancy chairs in, you know, yeah. and now we've got adjustable tables. But the thing I said to him, I said the other thing that I would I would fascinate me as well, is the point, is as a child you come to this world sleeping polyphasically, right? And this is shorter periods more often. Sleep for three hours, poo and feed, back again. Now the parents have to adjust from a monophasic approach, which is what you were doing pre the book, yeah, which is just sleeping all at night, right? So the kid comes along, polyphasic sleeping, you have to adjust, you really struggle with it, and then you force the child, as soon as it possibly can, to become monophasic. So it doesn't happen naturally. We kind of go, oh, God, get better, it's <laughs> 7 o'clock, yeah. sleep the way through, for God's sake, you know. And, um, and we do all sorts of weird things, like, you know, taking them out in our cars and trying to get them off to sleep. And We've all this done stuff. that, yeah. Um, and then the child goes monophasic, and then everybody's happy again. And then your daughter grows up, and maybe she gets, she wants to have a child, and she brings her child into the world, and then your daughter is forced to go polyphasic again. Yeah. So maybe your, your daughter will quite happily grow up now in her formative years, smash her exams because she's studying at the right times, she's doing the right things at the right time, she's, you've taken all the worry away from her sleep, daddy's not shouting at her to be in bed at 8 o'clock if he knows what she's doing, um, you, you both quite happily just go and sit down in the snug room and have your little 20 minute nap before you go and enjoy the summer evenings riding bikes and stuff because you know it protects your cycles at night, so you're taking the pressure off. And then maybe when her child comes along, the child will have no effect on her because she's been sleeping polyphasically all her life. Yeah. Not as extreme as when she was first born, but there's just no problem when the kid comes. You know? And I think that's what's nice about this whole process yeah. is, is the next generation that you are now educating your daughter. She will never think any differently. And 
that will be really nice to see how that drifts on down and, and maybe into the educational system where they, you know, they need a really good helping hand these days, your daughter's generation, don't they, of what she's wandering into. Yeah. And I think that could be critical to her her whole enjoyment of everything she does. Yeah, I mean, I mean that was brilliant. I mean, that was a brilliant way, I think, of summing up everything that's in the book in many ways is to get you thinking differently about this stuff and that it's amazing no one's really thought about it before or, or, or you know that people just overlook it's such a key part of our life it happens every day I have I mean you know there's loads of books around there's always been plenty of research in all the big universities massive research study in Oxford Stanford Liverpool St John Moores you know they're producing fantastic research all the time but all you ever hear is get your eight hours at night yeah don't eat too late your bedroom should be 16 to 18 degrees. And you go, well, I find that difficult talking to the, to the uh, Olympic marathon runners from Kenya. <laughs> it's 40 degrees, pal. Yeah. You know, at night, we can't get it, you know. We just, so, and how do I do that to the guys in Norway? You know, it's sort of like, it's ridiculous. So all you get is these, these very simple, yeah. achievable bits of things that nobody really questions and that's all it is just questioned it and um so if you were just to sort of sum up a few of the top ideas i think almost tips that you think really make a difference what, what would they be to people listening now i mean we've covered lots of stuff already during during this conversation but just well, a few you know, you know just listening to you earlier where i was speaking to um a gentleman with a similar sort of profile ceo He's an Iron Man as well, you know, just can't do enough, can they? Flying around the world, and he's an Iron Man. Um, he used the word, it was a, reading your book was a paradigm shift for me. Yeah, that's great. Now, now I had to think about that word, because it sounds like sort of almost Star Trek and sci-fi. It's like, you've turned it completely upside down. like yeah. It completely, and I thought, well, really? You know, this is sleep, mate. But... So I've got to say, read the book or listen to it on Audible. You know, if you don't like reading and you ain't got much time around, stick me with some earbuds in your ears while you're on <laughs> at the gym or on your bike or travelling, whatever, and just listen to it or just read it. It's it's not a it's not a hard read, is it, Andrew? No, right? it's not, and it's not a long book, and it's it's just what, like as you said, it's insightful in the sense that it's not like do this, do, you know, like a big long list of ten things. It just sort of bubbles up as you go along, and you get those those breakthroughs. But I think you'll probably agree is that just tap circadian rhythms into your browser, and just look at the pictures. That's the start because. It just reminds you that you are a human being, right, with a brain. You happen to be called Andy. I happen to be called Nick. We have things in our lives that we do, but we have a brain. And our brain is completely utterly linked in with the sun going around our planet and our relationship with light. And if you just get a better understanding about that and how it triggers certain hormones at the right times of day for blood pressure, coordination, and things like that, on suppressing, suppressing, suddenly you get a relationship with harmony and patterns. Mm. And when you start doing that, you start becoming human again, and you start to be able to get this under control. The second one is clearly just identify your chronotype, right? It's in us all. We know if you, if you had absolute control over every day, 
would you get up at five, like me and Andy, or would you get up at eight, nine, or ten, right? And once you get that relationship, you can look at what you're doing, and you can't change the world, but you can certainly realize that when you're doing that, you need to do something before then to protect yourself. This is how your sleep, this is how your mental and physical recovery program should look, because it's relative to a PM chronotype, not an AM chronotype. So you get up early with all of us, but you need to adjust certain things as you go, all in your own little way without letting anybody know. And then the other one has got to be the myth of eight hours, and just you know, find your little constant wait time. We've all got it. Chop your day up into 90-minute cycles. Don't get really crazy and got a, a wristband on that rattles every 90 minutes or a 90-minute a, a alarm goes off. You start to feel what it feels like. Yeah. And so the first 90 minutes of my day is all about me. I will not become a sleep coach until 8 o'clock because my normal wait time is about 6 to 6.30, right? So I really protect that start to my – I can still go running – eating, talking to friends. I can do all sorts of things in that period, but I just don't become my occupation. So it's my post-sleep routine yeah. to ensure that I am, me and my brain are really, really happy to walk into a crazy world that's around us where tech, we just get bombarded, don't we? Oh, yeah. And then every 90 minutes, I just think, just a minute for me, just to go in a different direction, go to the toilet if I don't even want to, you know, make little excuses to other people about you've left something in the car or you want to get something for your desk. Just all these little breaks add up to my eight hours a day. Right? And I think once you start doing that, you suddenly get a much better idea that instead of thinking about sleeping in blocks per day, you think about your 24-7 cycle routine and you think of short period cycles during the day, which are perfectly natural, are as important and more valuable sometimes than a whole 90 minutes at night. Yeah. And you start sleeping through, less awakenings, less disturbances. And, you know, as I tell a lot of people, if uh, if you seem to be in your, your office space, Andy, you know, that seems quite nice and late. If you came in there for 9 o'clock tomorrow morning and you stay in there till 5.30, and you don't leave the room, and you can't do anything, right? No eating, no drinking, no nothing. Now, you imagine the next day, you, if you have to come back into that room and spend another eight hours in that office, you will make sure you're hydrated, and you don't want to go to the wheeler. You don't want to be wanting to go to the toilet now, because yeah. you're doing it in your office. You don't want to be hungry, but also, you need your bowels sorted, yeah. right? to have suppressed things right so you would start to think of the things you need to do to put into that room to help you with those eight hours you take things out of that room that's annoying you you know and you think about what you do for the rest of the day to help you with that hot because it's only when you think it's a hell of a long time only yeah. eight hours doing nothing physically and mentally without any control over it it's not only boring it's not only ineffective it's, it, nothing's getting produced and it's a hell of a long time so it's not surprising that we overheat we get, get uncomfortable we you know we, we wake up 
two or three times and things like this is because it's a long, long time. And when, you know, back to your first point, if you put circadian rhythms into your browser, you will realize that up until we invented electric light, we never slept in one block anyway. We always slept in multiphasic periods. So it's actually unnatural to try and sleep for such a long period in one block anyway. So you've been quite happily going, I don't know how old you are, Andy, but you look handsome and fresh and healthy. <laughs> Obviously, alcohol-free. But, you know, all that time you've been trying to do something, which is a bit like you suddenly realize you go into the gym one day and you've got Wellington boots on and everybody's got these funny sort of little things on their feet called trainers, which are much easier to run in. And you go, oh, my God, look what I've been doing for the last 40 years of my life. I've been using the wrong footwear, and nobody's told me, you know? And and that's why I think people should run away, and for no other reason, it won't make me rich, but if they've got kids like you, it could be revolutionary to those, your kids. The, yeah. These things in Europe. I generally right? believe that, yeah. Generally believe it, you know? Um, and it's just been fascinating. I could listen to you all day, to be fair. I mean, who would have thought sleep could be so exciting or so passionate I think about sleep but it is it's the same thing isn't it it's about optimising your life trying to be a bit better you know it is the paradigm shift we use that word a lot actually I think you know the, the, as we touched I won't keep you but as um, when I first started talking to footballers I used this 90 minute thing from the clinical because that's the length of a football game yeah right so I thought right if I, if I talk 90 minutes they know what I'm on about and there's also a gap in between that 90 minutes for a break. So that's how I'll get these sort of nap things worked out, that we do stuff for a bit and then we just need to chill a bit before we go again, you know? Yeah. So that's the whole thing about 90-minute cycles. It's come from clinical, but that's where it was. And what is so strange is I was with some uh, young guys within um, Liverpool uh, Academy and the the conversation has changed. It's a bit like sort of text language to emoji to this and all that stuff. And they just went, I'm doing, I'm on a 4C, 1CRP routine. <laughs> Four cycle. What's that? They've got a nap in there. Is that 1CRP, yeah. One controlled recovery period, which is, really? the, you know, my term for napping. Yeah. That just sounds like the 70s. You know, like sleep sounds like it's a 70s. So mental and physical recovery periods, I'm on a 4C, 1CRP, nice. and it's working great. Right? Yeah. You know? Because they don't even talk sleep anymore. Yeah. Because they've actually got some value to, does a 5C work? Uh, no, I'm much happier with a 4C and a 1CRP. Yeah. And then next month, me and the coach are going to shift that to a, a 3C, and a two CRP, yeah? because we've got a pretty difficult week. And then you talk to the single-handed round-the-world yachtsman who's going to be at sea for three months on his on his or her own, and they'll be sleeping maybe one CRP of twenty minutes, maybe every six to eight hours if they're lucky. If they're lucky. I mean, that's and that just demonstrates, doesn't it, what we can actually achieve and and still function on. Yeah, it's completely. I think I'm on a four C next week. I'm going for four C one CRP. Is that right? 
There you go. Yes, I'm all over it. I'm like Change down with the, the kids. language. I'm down <laughs> but, with the kids. You know, you, sometimes, sometimes these things are brought out of trends and stuff like that, and it's, you know, it's, it's the lads around the back with their new language we don't understand, and they're all talking stuff. But you know, I think the only way you can get people and all your listeners away from this, you say sleep, and and suddenly this image appears in front of you of what sleep is. Yeah. Do it, I think, in a bed, in a bedroom, with all fluffy stuff, private sanctuary, boudoir stuff, and it's as far away from making choices about what you eat, choices about what you drink, physical and active things all the time, and exercise. It's, it's so far away that as soon as you mention sleep, it's almost, get to bed, Go and get a good night's sleep, and I'll yeah. see you in the morning. Wake up! It's time to get up. You know, oh my God, there's only so many hours left before I've got to get up and do it again. I nearly need to go to sleep. And you sort of go, well, do you want to? Well, I don't feel like it, but I've got to, haven't I? You know. <laughs> yeah, to catch up. And you know, and, and before we wrap up, it's even about the power nap, which is so seventies. It sounds, doesn't it? The sort yeah. of power nap, and I think that's brilliant. I'm going to change my terminology around this, but even in. Uh, broken environment you know which which i'm obviously heavily involved in if you see someone having a crp or whatever or a power nap around the desk it's totally frowned upon it's like they're out of order shake them awake that's lazy it's unprofessional wake them up yet as a broker you're expected to go out to two or three in the morning with clients and then turn up for work the next day but you're yeah. not allowed to power nap. You know all of this needs just reframed and rethought out does, because this, this um you started to see companies bringing in sleep pods or creating rooms where people could go and sleep. And, and I, I was just sitting there giggling, saying they, they won't work. Because there's even uh, uh, national gyms who do snoozer classes. <laughs> right. you know, where people go, like a step class or anything else, they go into a room yeah. and the bed's there and they actually have a nap all together. Right. Uh, because of the power of it, it's a recovery thing. And I'm just thinking, nobody likes sleeping with other people, Andy. Yeah. Even even with your closest partner, you know, when you actually go into sleep, you turn away from your partners, create your own little space, and you don't want to hear from them or see them until the morning again, right? So true, yeah. So all the other stuff, the security, the sex, the spooning, you're watching TV, reading the paper, whatever, with your partner in the bedroom, which is an intimate place to be. Fantastic. But the reality is, get away from each other when the sleep at onset comes. So you try to make people sleep with other people who you don't even know in places like that and in sleep pods and at work. So actually what you'll find is the good boss will look at that broker as all he's done He's grabbed a little mindfulness moment, so he's got rid of the office noise. He's listening to his body. He's listening to his breathing. He's took himself out of the room, but he's still conscious. He feels a bit of a microsleep coming, or he feels he's got the alarm on for 30 minutes, so he's not going to roll, and he just puts his head down on the desk and takes it, right? The, the boss of the future... Will probably be alcohol free, won't you, Andy? Yep, absolutely. Alcohol free, and he will encourage his staff not for sleep pods or recovery rooms and stuff like that. Is you just take 
your 20 minute, 30 minute CRP at these times of day, you take it like that and you will be more productive in the next three hours than if you didn't. So it will change. And all of these sleep pods and things like that are gathering dust, you know, we even got them in airports and all sorts of stuff. But you know, Andy will never need to use a sleep pod. So maybe that's a, a good other tip for reading a book that you might start investing, you know, hiring a sleep pod in an airport to get some kip or in a train station or there might be managers and who are thinking about creating recovery rooms and and doing things for the staff so they can go off and have a little sleep and stuff like that and you say, don't bother. Yeah. There's no need. We're human beings. We can naturally sleep anywhere on anything, anytime, anywhere, hanging off the side of a mountain on a sack on a clip for a mountaineer. You know, we can do it. And the strange thing is, I'm quite passionate about this, aren't I? Yeah, I've, I've, just, I've noticed that. I mean, you're like me with alcohol. You're the same on sleep. I love it. Yeah. the um, I always find these things about, you know, the perfect night's sleep and the eight hours and stuff like that. And so, well, if I, if I take my grandkids camping, then we're actually in a tent, which is not that secure. Uh, we can't lock the windows or the doors. Like you hear people, make sure everything's secure in your home, otherwise you won't sleep. Well, I'm in a tent. <laughs> you're on something that's just like a bit of foam or a blow-up thing. That you didn't go to some bed shop and talk to a salesman about all these go-faster stripes, springy, viscoelastic stuff that's going to sort you... It's just a bit of thing from a mountaineering shop that we've got with us. And um, we're in a sleeping bag, you know. And I've actually got layers of clothes on because it's cold. So how far am I away from my bedroom? Yeah. And all of those other things. And yet, I have a fantastic week. We seem to sleep well, wake up in the morning refreshed and want to get on with things. And it's the combination of, like you mentioned, you know, mindfulness before. Some people say, oh, that's witchcraft and stuff, you know, it's weird stuff. But if I'm looking at a beautiful view, strangely enough, my brain processes that information and makes me feel chilled and comfortable and happy and at peace with the world. If I'm looking at something the opposite, then I get tense and anxious. So all that happens is if you go out into the woods, into nature, and you haven't got all your sleeping equipment with you, like your fantastic bed and your linen, your air con and your blackout curtains and your dormway simulators, and oh my God, you know, and you're actually just out there. But the visualization, the company that you're with, amazingly, we all pass out at nine o'clock because we had a really hard day out and we don't worry about what we're sleeping on, Andy. So there's a lot of things about this. If there's things out of kilter in your life, it doesn't matter what you do about trying to improve the way you sleep. It's going to be affected by that. So that's why I always, always focus on the first 90 minutes of your day and what you do throughout your day will uncover recovery for you when you want to get it. So it's really important. You know, I've got a pretty nice view outside of my window, fortunately. So if I start looking at the computer all day long and just this big office board here and I never just stop and just go, ah, there you go, you know? Yeah. I know that tonight I will not recover as well as I should do. 
or could do. And that's that holistic sort of approach what we're getting to, isn't it? It's not just about the sleep bit. It's about everything yeah. else that facilitates better sleep, better you're performance. worried about it. And you, you go wandering into the market every now and again, you think, oh, my God, I've got to buy a mattress or a bed. And Wow, we don't do that very often, do we? No, every 20 years maybe. Oh, God, we better spend as much as we can. <laughs> better get the super-duper pockets from. Yeah, because, you know, we spend eight hours, a third of our lives on it, don't we? Yeah, yeah, and, and we need the best sleep because we've got hectic lives, haven't we? And, and you think this slab of something is actually going to do all of this for you. You know, it's like a carpet, but it's thicker. You don't expect the carpet to make you walk differently or, uh, you know what, what, we put so much emphasis on this product and a pillow and stuff like that that it's, it's going to change your world. Just, well, if it's that good, why aren't you buying one every year? Yeah. Not 20 years. Huh? You know, it's sort of mad. You don't expect your book cabinet there it, that could be around through generations for your family because it's made of wood and it holds books. And that's it, isn't it? Yeah. You don't expect it to do anything else. You're so for you sit on it, don't you? And you sleep on it, you sit on it, you lie on it. it it's cushions, it's fluffy. Well, you know, that whole area, because I was in that industry, yeah. was just fascinating. Exactly, and, and I think that is... It's so interesting and almost a nice way to wrap it up. It, that there is so much. You will have to wrap this up. I know, I'm like, this while I've got a flight to catch up. I know, exactly. Eat. I've got to go to sleep after this. Believe me, I need a CPR. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just to get well, there you go. It's a CRP. CRP, that's your dyslexia. CPR is something to do with your heart, mate. <laughs> I think I might need both is what I'm going to need after this anyway. But that has been absolutely fascinating. I've loved every minute of it. And what we will do is in the show notes and, and whatnot, we'll obviously have links to the book and what you do now. I mean, what, you know, outside of the book, do you work independently as a consultant, I guess, for firms and individuals? Yeah. How does it work? Uh, there are... There are services on, on the website, sportsleepcoach.com. Somebody can uh, just get a quick assessment of where they are. There's lots of sleep evaluations out there, like Epworth tests and things, but they're all too lightweight for me. So you can just do a free little profile and get a sort of judgment about where you are in the sort of scheme of things. Um, there are little uh, consultations, which uh, the first one's like 95 quid, um, and you – you pay for that, you get a full profile questionnaire to fill in, and then basically I assess that, and then we'll have a little 20 minute one to one like this. You know, uh, Skype, what's that? So, what I can do is actually, I've gone into your profile, I can then talk to you, and you know what this is all about. But suddenly, you start to tell me the truth that's not in the questionnaire, and then bingo. And I think for a lot of people, with that and the book, that's available to you for everybody is that too could be a, can be a probably the big step that you will set you up for the rest of your life. Yeah. You know, you know, in that sense, you know what I mean by that. Oh, um, I agree. Products for sale. Um, we we I'm always creating products for like we talked about for sleep kits for athletes. We're doing it for Tokyo 2020 already with our whole Olympic squad. Uh, so we're already on that with them with the English Institute of Sports. So people can access products and uh, we don't have loads of pillows because if you get what you're sleeping on correct, you don't have to need a pillow. So 
we're sort of non-pillow advocates, yeah. Cool, I like that. But yes, exactly. So previously, I was always in sports uh, and by referral. You know, I wasn't out there advertising myself because there was no point. Because there's only 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 people would engage with me if they got told about me. Um, the book's in 13 countries now. Wow. So um, that's crazy. You know, yeah. so Japan, China, the US, Germany, all around Europe are translated in exactly the same way as what you read. You know, what you've you've read yeah, the book. So yeah. it does show everybody that this is not a UK centric problem. Um, this is not a UK centric subject. I so to finally answer your question, um, there are corporates realizing that their investment in well-being programs is not giving them the results. So they need to change Andy's. How do they change? How do they look after Andy when he's away from work and at work? Yeah. And they realize that this is an area that should do it. And I think you would. You would say yes. So there's a lot of corporates, schools, universities, hospitals, um, just all trying to get involved. And as an example, uh, I fly to uh, Knoxville, Tennessee on Monday. Uh, I'm working with the Univer- University of Tennessee there with the uh, the graduate surgeons program. So these are all the, the new surgeons coming into the world. And... You know, not to give too much away, but that junior doctor doing 80 to 120 hours a year was okay in the past, but not anymore, not in today's world. So they have specific data that's showing them they need to they need to address. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, you call it patient care numbers, right? So if you get this flow, as it, it's sort of like the red line, isn't it? If you get down there, we've got, we've got to stop because there's too many minor mistakes going on with inside the surgeon's program. Yeah. If it keeps knocking on this door too often, then there's something going on. And they they tried, to, the professor there tried to look how he could put this right with all the young graduate surgeons. And uh, it was all about recovery because they'd just been run ragged. And he looked all over the place, the universities, clinics, sleep experts, you name it. Um, and while he's tapping away like we do, you know, up pop this sleep coach. And we had a conversation on the phone and he got my book, he read it. And so I'm literally going out there to work with the graduates on what we've been talking about today for specifically to ensure they stop chopping ankles off the wrong foot. Yeah, exactly. That keeps them... I, I jest. But that... Yeah, it's a very yeah, important thing. So this is definitely not just focused on sports it's uh, so they will they will pay me to go and do something like that to consult with all the individual graduates to, to advise the university and everything else but i you know tomorrow tomorrow morning i'll be talking to a 14 year old potential netballer for team gb so right? it's, it's totally varied and, and that that is the thing oh, my her parents are funding her Fabulous. she works for a little club but somebody says she looks like she looks like she could get she could go well into netball, you know. And netball, I think the only the only time we ever hear about recently they did quite well. Well, in the Commonwealth they, Games, it's amazing. But that you know they go back into their own little worlds, and nobody nobody even knows people are playing netball yeah. as far as the TV's concerned or anything, is it? But that's the, what the fascinating thing is. So. Yeah, the diversity in in the people that you're seeing, and that's really my point is is that you don't have to be an athlete 
or a surgeon. This is for all of us, wherever you are in life, to optimise your sleep is just so important to ignore. I tell you, I tell you what, you, sometimes referrals are brilliant, aren't they, if they come from the right place. Maybe if, if you ever see around your daughter and you say, why don't you just write about that, your daughter, you know? Um, as, as If she's experienced things, or if she does, as she maybe gets older, I mean, for other people to read about her and her approach to recovery and the day dad read this book and became obsessed with cycling. Yeah, exactly. It'll be in there. She shouts at me at night, and now he doesn't do this with me, and now we don't do this, and it's amazing. Oh, you yeah. know, Sam did this, my life's become so much better, said your daughter. Exactly. <laughs> well, we've got a few years to wait, and when she gets there, we look back over her memoirs, and she's this famous ballerina, and it all stems to this one day Daddy read the book by Nick um, Little House. On that note, let's wrap right. this up so you can catch your plane. I can have a micro sleep. Um, and it's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved every second of it. Well, all the details, all the websites and book links and all that will be in the show notes. So just to say thank you, Nick, and I'm sure we'll get you on again because it's been, it's been fantastic. No problem at all. Thank you very much, Andy. Good man. Thanks, Nick. Cheers. Bye. See ya. What a great interview that was. And what about the passion? I thought I had a passion for alcohol-free. Nick certainly has a passion for sleep and all things optimization, which is so important. I cannot drill this home enough. Optimize everything in your life, from your relationship with alcohol, your diet, exercise, sleep, meditation. Add these things in. This is where the life well-lived comes from. And just before we finish, a reminder, on the 9th of June, if you're not coming to join Rue and I in our first ever live event in London, in a hotel in the Strand, um, the Power Up event is taking place on the 9th of June. There is literally a couple of spaces left. Grab yourself a ticket. We'll put the link in the show notes. Eventbrite, search one year, no beer. Come and join us and a load of your like-minded, alcohol-free adventurers for a day you won't forget. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to the One Year No Beer podcast. For a full list of episodes and to join in the challenge yourself, head on over to oneyearnobeer.com. One